Hi, welcome to the Henny and the Juice podcast. I'm Juice, this is Henny. Alright, this is a continuation of the Average Joe show that we did a couple years ago. And uh, Henny's going to tell you what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so today we're going to go over uh, NFL predictions for the playoffs, the wild card round. We're going to go over all kinds of NBA predictions. we got awards and we're going through the 1 through 10 seeds in each conference, our prediction for that. Kind of go over the new play-in system. And then we also discuss our favorite NBA players of all time top five and then of course we got nate watt on to talk basketball or college basketball and baseball all right there we go let's get right into it (laughs) all right so now we're getting into uh the nfl playoff predictions probably the highlight of the show honestly i'm pretty excited to talk about the nfl so we're going to go in order of when the games are going to be played this weekend so there's three on saturday and three on sunday and this is actually the first year of the new playoff system so there's seven seeds for each conference now, 14 teams total. The Packers and the Chiefs got the number one seed for their respective conferences. Um, and then there's uh, six and or there's 12 teams playing uh, this weekend. So the first game is on Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, all the times I'll be listening are in Pacific time. It's the Colts versus the Buffalo Bills in the AFC. The Bills have the number two seed. The Colts clinched their playoff spot last week, and Buffalo is currently a six-and-a-half-point favorite. And Buffalo is on some wild playoff droughts currently. So I've written here that they have not won a play, they have not won a playoff game or been favored in one since 1995, and they haven't hosted one since 1996. And then this is also the first game uh, this season that they're letting in fans to the stadium. So that fan base, we know, will be pretty hyped up. It was good timing to get the fans in for the playoffs. I'm not sure why they weren't able to do it a little bit earlier. Probably some bigger stuff than they can control. Coming into the game, man, Josh Allen is on fire right now. I mean, the yeah. whole entire team is on fire. They have two losses this season, or they have three losses this season. Yeah. They played the 49ers a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. 49ers, even with all the injuries, everything that went wrong, were still a top-flight defense in the NFL this year as far as yards go. We had no answers. Yeah. We had no answers for that team. Get Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, you can line either of them up in the slot. And the routes and the timing they have is otherworldly. Like just the routes they're able to get, the way they're just able to pick apart a zone right away, the way he's able to see things, see the defense, tell them exactly where they need to go, yeah. and for them to actually connect. They had this figured out by week eight. So now... <laughs> We're about to get into the playoffs. They're going to have fans back. The defense started off a little bit slow this season. Yeah. Boy, have they been ramping it up. Yeah. I I see the Bills. I I don't want to disrespect the Colts in any way, but I kind of see the Bills dominating the game. Yeah, that could very well end up being the case. I mean, they've made a lot of teams look silly this season, and... We knew the Bills were going to be good. Um, it's kind of crazy that they were favored to win their division coming into this year. I know some people didn't believe in them. But, I mean, they won it pretty convincingly. And they would have won 10 games in a row now if it weren't for Kyler Murray's Hail Mary, yeah. however many weeks back that was. So they would have they have ten, they would have had 10 wins in a row if it weren't for that. Josh Allen has made one of the biggest step forwards like I've ever seen for a quarterback. Um Everything about their past game is basically, it's working perfectly. And I definitely didn't see it coming. I didn't see them being the number two seed, but it's not like it's some fluke. I think they're going to win this game pretty convincingly. One thing to touch on with the Colts is, so we definitely don't want to say the Colts have absolutely no chance to win. It's just all the signs at this point are 
pointing at the Bills being able to dominate this game. The one thing the Bills are lacking that the Colts are not lacking in is a run game. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss have both been good this season. They've both been solid. Wouldn't call them spectacular. Nor have they been consistent, which is always a problem. You don't know what you're going to get week to week with these guys. Both really talented. And then you go over to the Colts. Jonathan Taylor's coming off a 250-yard rushing game. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor is a beast. Yeah, especially this this later portion of the season. I mean, he's kind of caught fire. Um, we're going to get into some more running backs that have caught fire. we got Derrick Henry <laughs> coming up in a little bit. But Jonathan Taylor kind of slipped under the radar. But, um, I mean, he's been really impressive the last few games, uh, especially for a rookie. So And behind that offensive line, that's yeah. one of the best in the league. If they can get that run game going, Phillip Rivers I mean, they got play a shot. A good game. They got a shot, yeah. They really have a shot. They're a good, solid team. But I would say both of us feel that the Bills are going to win this game. Yeah. I would say by double. I, I would say, yeah, I would say the point spread is pretty fair of six and a half yeah. in favor of the Bills. I think that's pretty accurate. Okay, so the second game this weekend is the Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. The big question in this one, of course, is is Jared Goff, is whether or not he's going to play. So we're recording this on a Tuesday on Tuesday night. So we don't really know the situation. Um, last week, the Rams, John Walford came in. He came in uh, in place of Jared Goff, basically. He started that game. He played pretty solid. He had he produced around like t- 300 total yards about. Um, I think he had 56 on the ground, and he was like 22-38 passing. So it's not the end of the world if they, have to st- if they can't start Jared Goff. But it is kind of a problem that Seattle's defense has been really good as of late. It's really improved as the season's gone on. Seattle's a four-point favorite. And I don't know. I th- I think the Seahawks actually win this one pretty convincingly, especially if Walford ends up starting. I truly believe that Jared Goff is going to play. Yeah, it's I a, would assume so. It's a playoff game. I mean, I understand it's a thumb injury. And that's obviously not ideal for a quarterback with grip strength and the yeah. ball. I just don't see any way Jared Goff is not the starting quarterback. Yeah. The big issue is going to be Chris Carson. If that physicality with Chris, if Chris Carson can get going, I really don't know how the Seahawks could possibly lose this game. You know what you're getting from Russell Wilson. Yeah. Even if Russell Wilson Fantastic season, yeah. has taken a semi, like a little bit of a different production, mm-hmm. has thrown some interceptions here in the latter half of the season. Yeah. You know what you're getting from Russell Wilson in a playoff game. Yeah, he and ca- it is all it's just greatness. Yeah, he kind of fell out of the MVP race, but I mean, I still think he ended up with like 40 touchdowns, 4200 or so yards. Um, the Rams are getting back Cooper Cup and Andrew Whitworth. It looks like Cup I think was out last week with COVID, and then Whitworth's been out for a while. And the Rams' defense has been like really good this season. Um, but at this point, Seattle's defense is playing just about as good as the Rams is. I mean, in the second half of the season, I don't know the exact week where they started really ramping up, but I think the Rams are going to have a tough time getting going on offense, which has surprisingly been the weaker of the two offense and defense uh, this season. So, Yeah, we're going to see if the Rams can get the run game going with Akers and Henderson. I don't know if they're going to be able to, and that's the problem is inconsistency from your running backs in the playoffs is not ideal unless you're the Chiefs. Yeah. And maybe you can get by, maybe the Packers can get by. Especially when you have an inconsistent quarterback situation. Yeah, exactly, too. exactly. It's there's just there's just too many question marks with what the Rams are going to be able to do. I trust the defense. Like I don't think this I don't think Seattle's going to win by 20 or something crazy like that. 
I just don't think the Rams are going to be able to stop that just superstar factor with Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter. Maybe it's a tight game. I, I just don't see them being able to overcome that. And I see Seattle winning this game. Yeah. So one last thing I want to mention, uh, the two games they played against each other this season, uh, they split the season series, but Seattle beat them just a couple weeks back. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Okay, so we're moving on to the third game here. All right, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Washington football team. Washington football team squeaked in last game of the season because the Eagles decided they were going to tank and they were going to get themselves a better pick. It was obvious. It was clear and obvious. It was it was one of the worst things I've ever had to watch. Watching the Eagles just choose to lose the game. Yeah, and I really feel bad for the Giants. But then again, if you're six and ten and you're relying on somebody else for your playoff fate, I can't feel too bad for them. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see this, like how this game unfolds with that Washington defensive line versus the Bucks. Well, yeah, because that's the big problem with uh, Brady, especially this season. I mean, we've seen it the last couple seasons. He really struggles with consistent, good pass rush. And if there's one thing that Washington is good at, um, it's having monster pass rushers. I mean, and they have a rotation of them too, especially Chase Young. Chase Young had that thing after the game last week where he said he's coming after Tom Brady. Um, Tampa Bay is an eight-point road favorite, so you know most people are expecting the Bucks to kind of to win this one. But I think there certainly is a path to victory for Washington. Absolutely. The question is just how how likely is it uh, that they get there? So I don't I don't find it very likely. The th- the one thing is, I know I sound like a broken record right now, but it's the playoffs running the running the ball matters. If Tampa Bay can't get the run game going, which I don't see any reason they won't be able to. But if they can't and they become one-dimensional and this defensive line is able to just continue to tee off yeah. on Brady over and over, yeah. that's when the game starts to get close. That's when the game starts to get scary. On offense, is it's just abysmal. Terry yeah. McLaurin is really good. Antonio Gibson is a and good a lot, dual threat. Jamie yeah. McKissick's the same way. They, they have him on the field a lot at both times where McKissick's the slot receiver, Antonio Gibson's the running back. Yeah. They kind of just swap him around. That's the one nice factor they have on offense. But other than that, like, I just don't see any way they're going to really be able to win this game. Even if they play good defensively, I don't know how they're going to score enough points. Yeah, and I think I think um, McLaurin and Antonio Gibson are questionable yeah. for this game too. So it's kind of a mess. A lot of things would have to go right. And of course, the the Bucks now have Tom Brady. That was the big storyline last off season. It's been a pretty big. I mean, everybody wants to follow Tom Brady like every week this yep. year and want to pay attention to how he's doing. And I was surprised actually with how good his final stats were at the end of the season. He had forty plus touchdowns. Yeah, forty plus touchdowns. I think he had forty six hundred yards, which is about as impressive, quite honestly. But most weeks. It's been a lot less pretty on the field than it yeah, ended up in the stats. That's why I was so surprised when yeah. I like saw his end of the season stats. I was like, they've been good, they've been solid, but it just seems like week to week they're like they're able to win games big. Then when you like actually watch the game, yeah. it seems like it should be close. Yeah, but overall, I mean, I feel like we both feel the same way. I don't, I don't really know how the football team is gonna be able to come away with this <laughs> win. I just like. I truly feel that like they're going to have to like put their offense in a position to score ten easy points and might have to score a touchdown themselves. Yeah, for them to come away with the victory. Yeah. All right. So the fourth game of the weekend is the first one on Sunday too. So this one's also at ten o five. I think all the games are at the same time on each day. So one's at ten o five, one's at one forty, I think, and then one's at five fifteen, and that's the same for both days. 
Um, but the fourth game we have is the Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. And I was actually quite surprised with what the point spread is in this game. So Tennessee, Tennessee is at home, and they're a three-point underdog uh, against the Ravens. And the Ravens have been playing better lately, especially Lamar. It's been a really up-and-down season. He he got to a thousand rushing yards. I actually didn't realize he was like going to get to a thousand rushing yards <laughs> Twice again this season. In a row. Yeah, and he's been better um, ever since he got that IV uh, against Cleveland. Um, but I I think I'm actually picking the Titans in this one. I'm kind of confused as to why they are underdogs in this game. I mean, their defense has been pretty atrocious this year. The Titans has been, um, especially their secondary. But the Ravens don't necessarily have the weapons on offense with how inconsistent Lamar's been they have Marquise Brown who's been playing good I think he has like a touchdown like six games in a row or something like that but I think the Titans are going to be able to run up the score a little bit and it's going to be up to the Ravens to kind of keep up I mean we know how hot Derrick Henry's been AJ Brown's been incredible Tannehill's still serviceable quarterback been pretty good these last two seasons so the Ravens, the one nice thing about them is they were second in points per game allowed defensively. Yeah. Which I didn't even realize until I was doing the research if they had been that good this season. Yeah. I am just so, I'm just going so hard on the Derrick Henry hype train <laughs> for this playoff run. Like, it's hard not to. There was a stat I saw, and he has 30, almost 3,400 yards since week 10 of last <laughs> season. I mean, including playoffs. But can you just like let that sink in? I believe Dalvin Cook was second. And you had like nineteen hundred or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. It does not make sense. I don't think the Ravens, even as good as they are, are going to be able to stop them. They did earlier in the season. They were able to hold Henry to under sixty yards, which is just just incredibly impressive because he almost had twenty carries too. So they really, really did stop him. But I think it being the playoffs, I think that the Titans are going to be able to match the Ravens' run game and even exceed it a little bit, even yeah. if you add Lamar in because the running back situation is just so poor right now in Baltimore. Yeah. I, I think Tannehill's going to be able to make enough big plays for them to for, to, for them to win this game. Yeah. I think it's going to end up finishing within four points or so. Yeah. I think Tannehill's going to be able to make the plays, and like that Titans' defense, I, I think they're going to be able to be just good enough. Yeah, they're going to have to be better than they were the these last couple weeks. They kind of got smoked by Green Bay, and then... This previous week, they gave up a ton to Houston, too. I think they gave up, like, 38 points or something like that. So Tennessee is going to have to play a little bit better on defense. But even if they are lacking a little bit on defense, they can definitely keep up with their offense. And they can definitely get out to a lead and run the ball down your throat. I mean, more than almost anybody, they can run the ball down your throat. So, Okay, so the fifth game we got, not one I'm particularly excited to talk about. So we got Chicago at New Orleans. Um, I believe this is the biggest point spread. Uh, New Orleans is a 10-point favorite in this one. And this one didn't involve a lot of thinking for me. Yeah. Um, the Saints are would probably be my pick to be the, to go to the Super Bowl right now if you made me choose out of the NFC. I kind of thought they would end up getting the bye like most of the season, that they would get the, the one seed out of the NFC. But honestly, playing Chicago in the first round isn't that much worse than just having a bye. I think Chicago is kind of a fluky team. They got a lot of weird wins at the beginning of the season, and then they went on like a six-game losing streak at one point in the season. And then they kind of rebounded a little bit. They're in the playoffs, but I don't even think they're one of the 14 best teams in the NFL, quite honestly. I would completely agree. I was uh, 
I was on the phone with a friend, and I was saying the exact same thing. I was like, yeah, the Saints didn't get a bye, but they might as well have. Yeah. We might sound really, really stupid <laughs> <laughs> next week, but... Yeah. Man, that Bears team, like, the defense is really, really good, all right? I'm not trying to put any disrespect on that defense. It's very good. One of the best in the NFL. But that offense is it's just abysmal. I, you would think with the coaching they have, Matt Nagy, that they would... They'd be able to come up with some creative stuff yeah. to like get it going, and it, like at least with that, with how good that defense is, the offense could at least keep like just try to keep up. Yeah, but they can't. But I mean, I, okay, I get they're in the playoffs right now, and they got the wins necessary. This game is going to be ugly. Like this yeah. game is going to be ugly. I mean, Alvin Kamara is going to have a big game because mm-hmm. I think that once you hit the middle of the third quarter. The Saints are going to have a sizable enough lead to where they're running on first, running yeah. on second, and possibly running on third, depending on the distance. Yeah, and he'll get involved in the pass game too. Kamara will. It's pretty likely this game ends in a blowout. Yeah, even more so than like Tampa Bay, Washington. Oh, I would say um, so. I think the Saints end up winning this one. So I don't have a whole lot much more to say on that one. So the sixth and final game, we have the Browns and the Steelers. All right, we have a it's a good matchup here. The Browns. The Browns, as good as they were this season, still had to wait till the last week to get in. They beat the Steelers, but the Steelers are playing a backup quarterback. So, it's not extremely impressive. I wouldn't say that's indicative of what we're going to see. Yeah, both these teams kind of had weird seasons. I mean, Pittsburgh started, what, like 11-0? and yep. And then they kind of they kind of collapsed. Um, everybody's making fun of Juju and Chase Claypool for the TikToks and whatever and they both just kind of had odd seasons um and this was one of the tougher games to pick for me quite honestly it's hard to really gauge which one of these teams is better right now uh pittsburgh's the number three seed they could have had the number one if they just like stayed afloat for a little bit but they're at home and uh, i think with this one i'm gonna take pittsburgh i don't really have a great reason why i think this could very well be like just another great like like interdivisional matchup uh just now in the playoffs and i wouldn't be surprised at all if the browns win quite honestly i've been saying it this whole segment and i'm gonna say it again give me those running backs <laughs> kareem hunt and nick chubb can we talk about how ridiculous of a duo that is yeah. it is it's just insane i don't know i mean the steelers are an incredible defense don't get me wrong but that Browns offense, like I think they're gonna be able to control the game. Yeah. The big thing is Baker. Is Baker going to be able to make the plays necessary? And I, I, I have this gut feeling that Baker is just gonna silence everybody. Really? I think the running backs are going to do their thing, and I think Baker is going to make all the plays needed in the fourth yeah. quarter to get the Browns a win and their first playoff victory in a long time. Yeah. And he played pretty good last week. Again, it's been, quite honestly, an up-and-down career for Baker. Not just an up-and-down season. Um, but he's had some great games. It's going to be tough against Pittsburgh's defense. Um, they're going to be able to generate a lot of pressure, like always. Uh, I'm sure Baker wishes he had Odell right now. And we don't know how that's going to play out in the offseason either. It sounds like Odell might end up getting traded. But... I don't know how that's going to yeah. play out. Yeah, but... All right, and I think that's all we have to say about the NFL playoff predictions, unless you got anything to add. I do not have anything to add. I do not. Yeah, and then it'll be the Chiefs and Packers. They're the 2-1 seeds, so 
they'll each play the lowest team that advances in each of their conference. So, yeah. All right, on this segment of the Henny and Juice podcast, we have Nate Waugh, our resident MLB and college basketball expert. On with us today, we're going to talk about some free agency rumors, what we have going on. To start off, we have Tomoyuki Sugano, Japanese pitcher, 31 years old. He has a deadline to sign on Thursday. We're asking Nate here if he believes a team is going to be able to snag him before that deadline. Nate, what do you got? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I do think it is fairly likely that Sugano does end up getting signed by a team uh, before his signing deadline on Thursday. Reportedly, his uh, former team in Japan, the Yomiuri Giants, do have a really lucrative four-year contract on the table for him. However, overall, in terms of overall like annual value, they can be able to get more money from MLB teams. And the two teams that have been uh, most closely linked to him this offseason have been the Mets and the Jays. Um, however, it is looking more and more likely based on comments from both Mets president Sandy Alderson and owner Steve Cohen that the Mets likely will not be paying off for Sugano. So it seems like the J- if I had to pick a landing spot for him, the Jays seem like the most likely most likely team. Probably on a on the contract roughly around three years, thirty million. Uh, the other team that has been uh, the big the big team or the big competition for the Jays rather is the San Francisco Giants, who do have a history of being really active in the international free agent market specifically for uh, players coming over from East Asia. They were one of the front runners for Shohei Otani when he came stateside. They were they were in the running for Hoseon Kim early, just earlier this offseason. I believe they were in on Yo, uh, Yoshi Tsutsuba last offseason. So they really so while they haven't made any big splash shinings from the region lately, they they are always kind of in those rumors. And I don't know that they I don't know that they're going to be able to offer or really be willing to offer the same amount of money that the Blue Jays likely will. The Blue Jays don't have quite as much uh, money tied up right now just because so much of their core is young and still under initial team control, whereas the Giants have a bit of a have a bit of a cap issue on their hands. It's definitely been alleviated this year with a lot of debt, with a lot of big money coming off the books. But I would say more than likely, I would expect to get news that that uh, Sugano signs with the Jays sooner rather than later. All right, and with the podcast being recorded on Tuesday, we're going to release it Saturday. We might find out that Nate's prediction of the Blue Jay signing will come true. And so we'll know by the time the podcast comes out. We're going to transition into the two biggest free agents we have this offseason in the MLB. George Springer, DJ LeMayhew. Do you think they're going to return to their teams, Astros and the Yankees? Or do you think they're going to be moving on elsewhere? Um, yes and no. I have a hard time seeing George Springer returning to the Astros. Partially because it it does sound like the Mets and the Jays have been pursuing him really aggressively for good reason because both teams are in desperate need of a good center fielder and George Springer is easily one of the best. Maybe, oh man, unless I'm forgetting a name, he might be the best center fielder in baseball not named Cody Bellinger or Mike Trout. Like he is, he is legit. You can throw a Petunia in there though. I'm, I'm, honestly might argue that Springer is 
seem likely that a player would want to return to that situation. That especially because we did, we weren't able to have fans in the stands in 2020. Like as soon as fans are able to be at Astros games, it is going to be insane. I would absolutely not want to be a player on the Astros right now. I don't think Springer would either, especially when he has so many better options in the Mets and Jays, both really strong, young and upcoming, or not so much young for the Mets, but teams on the upswing with a lot of money to spend, big need at the position. I think he does end up somewhere other than Houston. In the case of LeMayhew, I would say it's, I personally think he ends up back in New York. The fit just makes too much sense. The, the Yankees obviously aren't strapped to the cash. And unless they were to go out and make a big move for, say, Francisco Lindor, or even Nolan Arenado, though they haven't been linked to him as much, I would say, barring a move like that, that they really don't have a reason not to sign DJ LeMay here. His bat just plays so well in Yankee Stadium. He's been absolutely fantastic since coming to the Yankees in 2019. Uh, 336 batting average over the course of those two seasons. 145 OPS plus. He has been absolutely ridiculous. Even the balance of power that really wasn't there in Colorado. I mean, and that's really surprising. Like Colorado plays power up so much, but uh, being a being a right-handed bat, you didn't make you just get so much benefit from Yankee Stadium. So I would say it seems really likely that he ends up on the Yankees. Though the Jays definitely could be another really another really strong uh, free agent landing spot. It really seems like they're kind of just in on every free agent. I mean, there's there's rumors that hit of linking them to Real Muto. There's even been some like Trevor Bauer talk there. The the Jays just have a lot of money, a young team with some really obvious holes that it would make a lot of sense for to go out, for them to go out and fill. Dodgers have also been linked to LeMahieu, so that's definitely an option. But I think overall, the Yankees just make the most sense. It does like they're kind of far apart on the money right now, which could. I mean, if that goes on, if that goes on too long, that that could kind of sour relation the relationship between them and LeMahieu. But I I don't see. I think in the end, the Yankees cave. The, the Yankees fans adore DJ LeMahieu. Like there would be a really big backlash from one of the most vocal fan bases in the entire MLB. So I think in the end, Yankees management makes the right choice to bring some back. All right, so as I said, he's the resident MLB expert. He's also the resident college basketball expert. So we're going to get over to Henny, and we're going to see what Nate's got for us for some college basketball. Yeah, so Nate's kind of wearing uh, two hats on the podcast today because he recently started a college basketball blog over at TripleAwaySports.com. Make sure you go check that out. And we want to do a little tournament preview. It's a little early. Um, but one of the bigger stories this year in college basketball has been kind of the dominance of the Big Ten and truly the depth of like many of the bigger conferences. And we wanted to get Nate's insight on how that's going to affect some of the smaller conference teams that'll end up being on the bubble once we come closer to the tourney? Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Um, Yeah, the Big Ten has been absolutely insane this year. And really just the – all of the power conferences, besides the Pac-12, because the Pac-12 is having some tough times, um, all the power – most of the power conferences are looking 
really good this year and really deep, mostly. With the, I mean, specifically with the Big Ten, I don't think it would be crazy to see 11 teams from this conference make the playoffs. Uh, or not the playoffs, but the NCAA tournament. Nebraska's not making it in any reality. I doubt Penn State will. Um, and Pat, honestly, like, I don't think 12 will make it, but it's not out of the quite Like, if you told me any of the remaining 12 teams in the Big 12 or the Big Ten were going to make it, I, I would totally, like, the worst out of that batch is probably Northwestern, who, I mean, has shown us some really great things this year. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, they took down they took down Indiana, they took down Ohio State, Michigan State, started off 3-0 in Big Ten play, and they've since lost to Iowa and Michigan, but, I mean, Michigan is a top-ten team right now. Iowa has been ranked as high as number three. Like, Northwestern has shown that they are a legitimate competitor, and they are probably the 12th best team in the Big Ten, which is a problem for, like you said, kind of smaller conference teams because out of the 68 spots in the tournament, 32 are 32 are auto bids from winning from winning your conference. This year, there's only 31 because the Ivy League is not participating. But at least 37 spots in the tournament as for at-large bids for just teams that have to make it on the strength of their resume alone. And the problem with, with the power conferences being so deep is that they are going to eat up. I mean, granted, every year they do, they eat up most of the at-bids at or the at-large spots. However, this year, I think it'll be especially bad. We could see, we could see 10, I mean, maybe 11, but I would say 10 seems a lot more likely. 10 of those 37 go to the Big 10 by themselves. The Big 12 shouldn't have an issue taking six of those at-large bids, five or six. Uh, we could see seven or eight for the ACC, four or five for the SEC. Even the Pac-12, as rough as they are, could send two, three teams. Um, the Big East, probably three or four, which, I mean, if we go on the high end of those numbers I put, that's 36 out of 37 at-large bids allocated to those six conferences, which does not leave a lot for the little guys, whom there are a lot of, um, one of the one of the really big uh, teams that could end up getting pushed out of the tournament because of how deep the power conferences are. Is SMU, who is in the is in the AAC, where it seems kind of a foregone conclusion that Houston will win the the AAC. Granted, it's college basketball, so anything could happen. It's entirely possible the team that isn't Houston wins the AAC tournament. But right now, I mean, SMU, probably the second-best team in the AAC, and Houston Houston beat them by 14 two days ago. So I don't like I don't see SMU being able to get that auto bid. So they really will then have to try to get in on the strength of the resume, which isn't a battle they're going to be able to win against so many of those power conference teams, specifically the Big Ten, where, I mean, they're, I mean, they're all playing each other. Um, and when everybody is good, that, that's a really big problem. Because, I mean, let's look at Northwestern. Like, Northwestern could have the most average resume imaginable the rest of the way. But they still have wins over ranked, at the time, top 10 Michigan State, Ohio State, a ranked team.
Indiana should have been, and it's very likely that they are going to pull out a few more of those ranked wins over the course of Big Ten play. And if you, when it comes down to it, if they are going up against, if they're going up against SMU for one of those last spots, SMU's best win so far has been Dayton, who is not a bad team, but they, they just lost to Fordham today, which is not ideal. Even even like by Kenton metrics, they are they're a top team, but they're not they're not fantastic. They, and SMU only beat them by two. But beyond that, they beat Sam Houston State, Houston Baptist, East Carolina, Temple. Like and because they play, they play in the AAC, which is not a great conference. There's good teams there, but not teams that are going to be able to give them the edge over over power conference teams, unless they were to pull off a miracle on January 31st against Houston, in Houston, the, the best wins they can hope to get are beating Memphis, who not very, 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 very disappointing this year. Like, they are not, they are, they would be considered a quality win, but not by a lot. Like, they're, they're not, you can't really compare them to even like even Northwestern is probably a better team than Memphis. So that's the twelfth team in the big in the Big Ten versus arguably the third best team in the AAC. Yeah. And beyond that, this is kind of true of any of the small conferences, and especially like especially the AAC isn't a big or great conference, but it still has. I mean, it still has Memphis, Houston. I mean, even Tulsa done some good things this year. Cincinnati, Wichita State, our tournament stance like Staples. There's good teams there, but for for uh, teams like Marshall and Western Kentucky is another one where one of those two seems pretty likely to win the Conference USA Championship, which would leave the other in a tough situation because. It, you're, you're not getting a whole lot of quality wins that are going to uh, blow away the committee in Conference USA. For instance, Marshall. By Ken Palm metrics so far, their best win this year has been Wright State. And the best, they, they played two games against Western Kentucky in Conference play. But beyond that, oh, they beat North Texas, Old Dominion, Florida Atlantic. Like, they don't have. They didn't have the non-conference resume to to prop up what would be a really weak in-conference resume just by virtue of the conference they play in, and that is, that's a really big problem. Western Kentucky, though, does have a bit of an advantage on them there, just they, because they do have a couple. They do have some some bigger wins earlier in the year. They beat an Alabama team, which is looking really fantastic right now. They beat a disappointing but still decent Rhode Island team. They beat Memphis earlier this year, they, and they played West Virginia really close early on. Um, so, in theory, if they were to do really, really well in their conference play, they they would have a better chance than most of pulling out one of those at-large bids. But at the end of the day, again, stacking it against an ACC team or a Big Ten team who for the most part, have a lot strong, have stronger out-of-conference, in a lot of cases, stronger out-of-conference schedules, but also just infinitely better 
conference schedules to stack up against them. Um, the Missouri Valley Conference with uh, Drake and Loyola Chicago, one of those two is going to win the Missouri Valley Conference championship, but even though they are arguably better than whatever random power conference teams make it, both those teams deserve it. Like, if the tournament happened today, both Drake and Loyola Chicago deserve to be in. But I don't think both are going to be able to yeah. just because of the kind of competition they have to face up against. Uh, the WCC has a couple teams being BYU and St. Mary's who are kind of fringe tournament teams to be fair. Like, neither of the I, I'm not trying to die on the hill that BYU or St. Mary's are teams that absolutely deserve being in the tournament, but they're teams that should be in the tournament, and they sure as hell are not winning the WCC championship unless, like, it would take angels in the outfield levels of whatever to somehow let them beat Gonzaga. Um, but they're probably out of luck because, one, they, they've had some kind of tough luck with out-of-conference stuff. Uh, BYU had a loss to Boise State earlier this year, which isn't a bad loss necessarily, but it doesn't look great, especially at the end of the year. Um, I mean, heck, Boise State actually also a team that could potentially be kind of pushed out of the bubble. I don't think that they are going to be one of the stronger contenders, but they could be. But BYU and St. Mary's have some trouble if they can't somehow beat Gonzaga. Davidson and Richmond in the Atlantic 10. Technically, both of those teams could probably contend for the Atlantic 10 championship. I don't think St. Louis is like an, an unovercomable. There, I'm sure there's a better indomitable. They're not an indomitable opponent. And St. Louis, if they were to if they were to lose the A10, they probably would be pretty much an auto at large bid kind of team. They are very very good. But Davidson and Richmond, two teams that arguably would make the tournament, probably won't unless they somehow beat St. Louis. Yeah, and then we're going to see a lot of, I don't necessarily want to say mediocre, because a lot of these teams aren't necessarily bad, but they're going to be power conference teams that probably aren't better than their non-power contemporaries who end up in the, in the, in the uh, tournament just by virtue of their schedules. Uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are two really are two strong examples, in my opinion, where I'm not 100% convinced that they are better than, say, St. Louis, or not St. Louis, for that example, uh, than like SMU. Uh, I would probably take SMU over, over Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, if we're being honest, but at the end of the day, Oklahoma State already has a win against Texas Tech. And that's to say nothing of all the other Big 12 teams they're going to get to play this year, potentially pull out, potentially pull a win out. They only lost by three to number four Texas earlier this season. They lost by three to West Virginia yesterday, who had been a top 15 team. Like, we're going to see a lot of team. We're, we're going to see a lot of mediocre-ish power conference teams who are just kind of get who are going to do really poorly in the first round of the tournament. It's just really tough. Like half the, I don't, I don't know about half the fun, but a lot of the fun of the tournament is seeing just kind of those random teams. Uh, those random teams get to make a run. Because I mean, I'm not overly excited to see. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a 
Syracuse. And the Syracuse is a kind of borderline, one of those borderline tournament teams that will probably be able to make it just because they're going to they're gonna pull out some nice ACC wins. But I would much rather see a team that doesn't get, that doesn't get kind of the same exposure or we don't get to hear about as much, like, say, Western Kentucky, even if, even if it's a first-round loss. Like, I would rather see Western Kentucky get to go out there and do their thing than get to see Syracuse. And, I mean, if, it, if it, we see an upset, like Western Kentucky pulling a – we'll see Western Kentucky pulling off some crazy upset of a power conference team in a five seat. Like, uh, let's see. Western Kentucky beats Louisville in the first round. Like, that is a lot more exciting than getting to see – and getting to see Syracuse advance to the second round for the, for the billionth time. Like, it's really unfortunate. And though, to be fair, it does also mean we're getting a lot of really good in-season basketball. The Big Ten has been so much fun to watch this year just because it's been absolutely, it's been absolute madness, which it was last year, too. Um, and I think some people kind of expected that to die down a little bit, but it has been just as turbulent as ever. Minnesota is kind of the most emblematic team of that, where Minnesota was not really a team on people's radars for the most part. They're one of those teams where people are like, oh, yeah, you know, they could be they could be solid. They'll, they'll make a little bit of noise. But no one was expecting Minnesota to be 10-2 and two at this point. Wins over Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State, St. Louis, too, uh, who's arguably just as good a just as quality a win as especially Michigan State, but even Ohio State. Seeing Minnesota just like randomly pop off and have established themselves as one of the more uh, one of the more exciting teams in college basketball to watch right now. They have so much fun, and the, and the, the Big Ten is an entire conference of Minnesotas, and it's great. Purdue, another team where Purdue hasn't quite gotten the. Uh, level of exposure or hype Minnesota has just because they, their record is not, they, they've had some ugly losses, but they are a really good team who, they beat a really great Maryland team, they beat Ohio State earlier this year, like, the Big Ten is very fun, and even though it will probably come at the expense of some of those smaller, smaller conference teams come tournament time, arguably, the level of basketball we've gotten to see this year from that conference kind of makes up for it. Yeah. All right, so we're going to cut it off there. Uh, once again, we want to say how much we appreciate appreciate it, Nate, for coming on and educating us. Um, and make sure to go check out TripleAwaySports.com. That's Nate's blog. And, Nate, thanks again. Yeah, thank yeah, you, Nate. Thank you very much. Thank Take you. Care. Have a good one, man. All right, welcome to this segment of the Henny and Juice podcast. On this segment, we're going to do NBA award predictions. We're going to start off with the MVP. What do you got, Henny? Yeah, so the nice thing about doing the awards um, a little bit in the season is, like, for a lot of the smaller awards, um, we kind of, like, have a little bit to go on at least, which is nice. So especially for, like, sixth man of the year, most improved player. Especially for most improved player. We'll get to that. (laughs) But, um... So MVP, this was a tough one for me. It's always a tough one for me uh, this season, especially in this era. I mean, there's just so many good players. Um, so I kind of try to do a little process of elimination, right? So 
Uh, the first guy I wanted to eliminate was Giannis. Not that he won't be like right up there. I'm sure he'll be right up there. I'm sure he'll have all the numbers. But the problem, I think he's going to suffer from like major voter fatigue. The Jordan syndrome. Yeah. So I think that's a big problem with Giannis. And it's it's not a sexy pick, quite honestly, with him winning the last couple. So, And LeBron kind of, he, he was tempting. But like at this point in his career, he almost suffers from like permanent voter fatigue. Yep. So... Um, I kind of went through some other guys. I think KD is an okay pick, but now he's he's hurt. Damian Lillard would be an interesting one. I, f- I feel like he's got to get some eventually. But I ended up settling on Luka. He's certainly going to have the numbers, um, I think, for MVP by the end of the year, even if he's not off to the greatest start. It's not 100%. even that It's not even that bad. But, like, he'll have the numbers by the end of the year, and I think – I think he's like kind of the media darling right now. I think a lot of people want him to get one soon. So yeah, I think every every like everybody likes Luca. Like yeah. I don't know. I've never talked to a person. I never heard anybody on the media really genuinely trash it. Yeah. Although it's like what we trash him about his defense. Like you're just kind of <laughs> just nitpicking at that point. Like I understand defense is important, but what he does for the team, it's like I'll just be stupid. I'm one of those people that truly believes that every single season LeBron is the MVP. Like, I truly, truly believe that. And even last season, I really, really wanted him to win the MVP. Like, yeah. I, I genuinely thought he deserved it because he played defense last year. Yeah. Which he hadn't done since Miami, it seems like. Like, genuinely, Maybe like, lock up the on the defensive yeah. end. I thought that he should have won last year. But along those lines, I agree that he has permanent voter fatigue. I, I think it's going to be Steph. All right, I'm a little bit biased. Steph is my favorite player in the league currently. But the way he's playing right now... That 62-point game, that was ridiculous. <laughs> 62. 62. He's the second oldest player to ever do that behind Kobe. Damn. Which is a crazy stat because he's only 32. Yeah. You would have thought somebody else had done it at this point. But everybody was super worried about the Warriors, including myself, just mm-hmm. a couple of games in. But right now, they got Draymond back. Draymond is not shooting any shots. He's putting up a max three a game. Three field goals a game, which is crazy <laughs> to even think about. But you can just see the way the offense works. Like he'll fake it to Steph. Steph will run it back around. He'll cut in. They're just they're cutting again. Yeah. Like that's, the yeah. offense is moving in such a motion again, and it's like beautiful to see the way it's all. It's just in unity. Mm-hmm. Everything they do is so perfect, and the team is honestly not that talented. Yeah, it's good. Like it's good, good enough. But if they're gonna make if they're gonna make the playoffs in a situation where they're not in the playoff game like the play in games yeah if they make the four or five seed like that's got to be all on Steph's shoulders yeah. for the most part and I think that if they're able to do that and they're able to make it into the playoffs without doing the play in Steph is going to win MVP people love Steph yeah I know you've talked about how it kind of got tiring for a little bit just like with the way the media was and I so I think it's starting to come back I yeah think it's gonna come no back it definitely again. is. And I just think with all the media hype, the Warriors kind of coming back with nobody knowing what was going to happen, if they are able to kind of continue. And Steph right now is averaging 32 rebounds. Or <laughs> 32, <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> 32 points, five rebounds, six assists on solid field goal percentage numbers. Yeah. He's, he's going to be in perfect position to put up monster numbers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's going to be carrying the load. And again, if they can make the playoffs, Steph, to me, is going to win the MVP. Yeah. All right, so going into Rookie of the Year, this was this was another interesting – or this was an interesting one for me because nobody's, like, got off to a crazy hot start or anything like that. So I kind of went with an interesting pick. I, I don't know if I'm super solid on it myself, but I went with Tyrese Halliburton uh, of the Kings – 
Like, he kind of fell in the draft. I think he went like 12th overall. Yeah, or it, was something. Of his, it was because of his uh, jump shot form. Yeah. People thought it was bad, but it's translating. Yeah, but he's. I mean, he's been incredibly efficient. That's one of the reasons why I love him so far and, like, how, like, this the start he's off to because he's playing 26 minutes a game and he's only scoring 11 points per game incredibly efficiently. But if he can translate those 26 minutes a game into just more opportunities and even if his efficiency go down, which it will. I mean, he's not going to stay shooting 52% all season. I mean, I think he has a chance to kind of get it in a weird year where nobody's going to run away with it. So that that actually makes a lot of sense. I honestly didn't consider him too much for the rookie of the year. I kind of I think I was a little bit too biased with the first uh, with the first three <laughs> overall picks. Just the Kings games I've watched, it seems like he's in the game late. It seems like he's making big shots, and the really cool thing about his shooting form is it's so just down the middle. Yeah, like every single time. That he can shoot these shots from four or five feet out at the three-point line because he jumps forward, too, on every single shot. So guys kind of have to stay off of him. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, he's shooting wide-open jumpers. Yeah. So that field goal percentage is probably going – it's not maybe not, not going to stay where it's at. Yeah. But I don't see it dipping down too much. Yeah. Though. I mean, he it, he's going to stay pretty high, I would imagine, with his field goal percentage. And his three-point percentage is crazy high right now. Um, I think field goal, he's at like 52, and then three-point percentage, he's like right at about 50. So, I mean, those that's crazy efficiency, but go ahead with your pick. So, for my rookie of the year, I'm taking LaMelo Ball. All right. LaMelo has a lot. He has problems. All right. I'm not going to shy away from the problems. He's just not physical enough. He doesn't play like he's 6'8". Mm-hmm. Defensively, he's terrible. Yeah. But... <laughs> Nobody really cares about defense. Like I don't remember the last rookie of the year that was uh, they were talking about his defense. Yeah, it's just it's just not really it's just not the reality anymore. Currently, he's averaging twelve five and five on about twenty four minutes a game. Mm-hmm. He's just gonna keep getting more and more minutes. Yeah, like he's he's the one rookie out of the top three where it's like Wiseman is clearly not the number one guy on his team right mm-hmm. now. He could end up developing developing into the number two this season. Obviously, when Clay comes back, he's going to take a step back. Anthony Edwards is playing behind two young superstars. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I call D'Lo a superstar. Cat definitely is. Yeah. Where they're hungry, right? They still have, they still have something to prove. Oh, yeah. So, Anthony Edwards is kind of having to take a backseat to them, and he's been he's been very good. Yeah, he's scoring points. Not much else, though, so. Yeah, he's been efficient. You know, he's a pretty good defender. But LaMelo, I, just, I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year based off of opportunity. I think the opportunity... Is gonna put him. I think it's gonna put him at like 34, 35 minutes. I think that's. What, I think those are like what yeah. he's gonna be playing towards the end of the season. The Hornets are just. I mean, they're they're playing. Per, they're playing decent right now. Decent basketball. Like the wins are showing it. Yeah. But he's gonna end up being the starting point guard. Terry Rozier is very good. But the amount of minutes he's gonna be playing, and the fact that it is Lamelo Ball's team, whether like Terry Rozier wants to admit it, whether nobody wants to say it. Might not be right now, but it is going to be LaMelo Ball's team by game 40. Yeah. yeah just is what it is, and I think he just has the leg up on everybody else to be able to win Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I think they kind of want him to be the star, and he definitely has the persona and ability to to be a star. So Absolutely. Yeah, so next we'll go into def- Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, this was one of the easier ones for me. Just because Anthony Davis, a lot of people felt like he got screwed last year. 
And I, th- I don't know. I mean, the ability is obviously there. He's going to be a great defensive player. And I think, like, the opposite effect of voter fatigue is going to work in his favor. Like, it's like, I don't know if there's necessarily a word for it, but, like, opposite of voter fatigue. Like, he deserves it, kind of. So, um, I think he's a pretty easy choice. Not like a lock he's going to win, but that's what I would go with. For me, I have Giannis winning it twice in a row. The thing with Giannis is I think he's he's going to benefit from fo- from voter fatigue in a way where I just don't think they can possibly give him the MVP again. But I think he and the Bucks are still going to be at such a high yeah, level that like we yeah. gotta give this guy something. And he, I mean, Anthony Davis, Giannis, Rudy Gobert, they're all gonna be in it. They're all gonna be in it, and it's kind of it's just it's gonna depend on that. So I feel like if Giannis plays at an MVP level. That people think he should be the MVP. The voters are basically going to give him the consolation prize of Defensive Player of the Year. And that's kind of the way I see it playing out. The Bucks, I think, are going to dominate in the regular season again. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to be one of the top defensive teams in the NBA again. And Giannis is obviously at the forefront of it all. I, I think that's the way Giannis ends up with MVP or with Defensive Player of the Year is because they're not going to give him the MVP again. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. I like hadn't even considered that. I kind of, th- I think it's also possible like the voter fatigue just works both ways. But like that's an interesting theory. Like it could be a consolation prize, especially if he puts up a monster season again. Yeah, so. with Anthony Davis, it's it's really wild to see the way they play though, because I, I really do like that pick. Because with the Lakers. Everything they do on defense is trying to lead the guy with the ball to Anthony Davis in the post. Every single thing that they do defensively is trying to get them to Anthony Davis. Yeah. And that's that's really, really wild because the Lakers themselves are individually, obviously Schroeder's a great defender. LeBron can be a great defender. <laughs> they are all basically conceding to Anthony Davis knowing that he is the best defender on the team. Yeah. And it's really cool to see. And I see absolutely no reason Anthony Davis can't get it. Yeah. All right, so going into uh, sixth man of the year, uh, this was a tough one for me. I went with Karis LeVert. He's not off to the greatest start, but we know he can put up, like, some great numbers. Um, Absolutely. And he kind of has a chance to kind of right the wrongs, like, of these first handful of games um, with with KD out for a little bit. Um, And hopefully he'll get going. And it's another one of those awards, I don't know if I see anybody running away with it. I do like your pick, but... um, I don't know, Karis LeVert could kind of... I think he has a chance, certainly, and he has a good opportunity to get going here. So, Yeah, Karis LeVert's absolutely going to be one of those guys at the top. I mean, he is just... He is so good at basketball. And the fact that his numbers are where they are right now and his percentages are where they are, that's not indicative of what the rest of the season is going to look like. I, I'm almost willing to promise you that. The My pick is Eric Gordon. <laughs> like, I, It's crazy that he's on the bench right now. He's playing a six-man, but, I mean, obviously the Rockets, they have James Harden, John Wall. There's no Eric Gordon starting over either of them. <laughs> like, he's really good, but it's not happening. He's too small to play the three. So he's found himself coming off the bench. Yeah. And he's just under 20 points a game yeah. off the bench. And what we've found out in recent years, like even going back to Jamal Crawford, the six-man of the year award is an award based on who can get the most points yeah. off the bench. That's all it is. They're not looking for anything else. Nope. Yeah. No defense, no assists, no rebounds. It's not what matters in any way, shape, or form. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but it is what it is. Eric Gordon doesn't really do any of those things. In a big game, he can come up with some big rebounds. We've seen that. But if you're averaging 20 points a game off the bench, on the Rockets, which even with Silas, 
is still like pretty similar to the team they're running last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a different it's yeah. a different team. Yeah. But they're running. They're they're trying to score more points than the other team. That's the goal. It's not yeah. necessarily trying to lock up the other team. It's just yeah. trying to score more points. And when you're the star off the bench, the guy that they're running mm-hmm. the offense through in a in a um, system like that, I, I don't see how Eric Gordon's gonna be able to throw rookie or six man of the year. Unless Lou Will just does his thing again. Yeah. Or Karis LeVert. I really like yeah. that pick, too. All right. So, for most improved player, this might be the easiest. Yeah, I think we easiest. both have uh, the same guy here. Christian Wood of the Houston Rockets. Big man. He He's averaging like 23 and 10 right now. Um, I don't know if they played a game tonight and his numbers maybe went down or something, but... Um, and last year, well, the thing is, he's putting up great numbers, but it's all about, like, improving from last mm-hmm. year. And just from the raw numbers... I think he was at like 13 and 6 last year. I think he caught fire like at the end of yeah, last year. After the All-Star break, which yeah. is like a 30-game period, mm-hmm. and he was averaging some pretty ridiculous numbers. But I think they're going to go off the complete raw numbers off of last year when yeah. they consider the improvement. Yeah, and then some of the other picks I was looking at, um, Derek White and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, um, they're not off to like... It doesn't look like they're going to build a resume that like fits most improved player. And at this point... It looks like they're going to have a lot of catching up to do to Christian Wood if he's putting up anywhere near 23 Shea was just too good last year yeah. for him to win most improved player this year. Derek White, that's a really interesting one. Yeah. That's honestly one that I didn't even necessarily consider. I mean, he just he's such a good three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. He is just such a good three-point yeah, shooter. Yeah, his, his raw numbers haven't been like... Yeah, th- that's kind of the thing, though. Is like, these guys are really good players, but... It's very clear who's improved the most. Like so 23 far. and 10. Yeah. Like yeah. they're not they're not touching that. The only person that I actually saw and it wasn't either of those two. The one person I saw that could compete with Christian Wood was Julius Randle. Oh really? Julius Randle is putting up some ridiculous numbers right now. Like he's averaging he's averaging 20, he's averaging 11. Now once he's averaging 7 assists right now. Oh my god. And Julius Randle plays great defense. Yeah. The the part the part that's not good for him is that he was also the focal point of the Knicks last year. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he was getting he was getting good stats anyways. So it's it's gonna end up Christian Wood's gonna have to take a pretty decent dip down for Julius yeah. Randle to win it. But the thing is it's like we're only a couple of games into the season right now. Twenty three and ten after yeah. what he did last year. Efficient and he score shoots. Too. I mean he can yeah. shoot the ball really well too. He can score from all three levels. I don't see Julius Randle being able to catch up, but Julius Randle is just a victim of what he did last year. He improved yeah. so much, but I think it's just going to be a victim of what happened last year. And yeah, it's a word you really need, like, the right timing on it. Yeah. Christian Wood, even though he, like, caught fire at the end of last year, didn't translate to, like, total year great stats, and yeah. now that's what he's doing. So. Yeah, I mean, Christian was just in a perfect – he is in a perfect system to succeed. Obviously, again, with the fact that they're just trying to score, trying to score, trying to score – fast paced he's big he's big but he's really really fast he's really agile he's not a stick he's running the floor on fast breaks constantly and that's how he's going to keep getting his buckets they, they just play so fast and he's such a good shooter and they have like they just don't have a bunch of bigs yeah. competing with him like he's not gonna he's, there's nobody competing for his minutes obviously boogie but we don't know about boogie I mean, I don't, I don't see how Christian Wood's going to be able to not win most improved player yeah. unless this couple game stretch, and it's even just like from the All-Star break, it's just a fluke. Yeah. But I don't see that It doesn't happening. seem likely. It seems like he's a guy that people are going to have to start 
getting to know, you know. Yeah, it seems yeah. like people really like him too. Yeah, just from like I heard, like his story is really cool. Yeah, the one part is really sad. I don't know if you read it. Like his girlfriend basically left him after oh, he was drafted. No. <laughs> like she left him right Dang. after. So it's like I don't know. I think I think he's just kind of the people's champ right now, <laughs> and I don't see how he's gonna be able to not win it. Yeah. All right. So for the final award, I'm pretty sure it's the final one. Uh, Coach of the year. Um, you want to go first on this one? Yeah. I, yeah. I'll take this one. Um. I have Steve Kerr as the coach of the year. I, I really don't think people understand that the team is just not that talented. I, I really don't think people are grasping this. Like, Kelly Oubre, he's a good player. He's a solid player. He had some pretty good numbers last year. He can do some good things on the fast break. He's kind of unstoppable one-on-one on the fast break because he just has a bounce. Draymond is not a scorer <laughs> at all anymore. The offense is crazy. He, the offense really does run through Draymond, though. I will say that. And that is the one nice thing about the Warriors is Draymond is just so smart. James Wiseman is a really, really good player. Outside of that, it's like, I don't know. It, it, that's definitely not like a championship or even really necessarily a playoff supporting cast around Steph. Yeah. It's just not that great. And if. If they're able to make the playoffs, like a lot of the credit has to go to Steve Kerr. A lot of slander has been thrown on Steve Kerr's name. And understandably so, when you're coaching teams that are that talented over and over and over, like how are you not going to win the finals? Yeah. Like you, you kind of have to throw it away like you did in 2016. Which yeah. Just a bunch of stupid stuff has to happen. I think that Steve Kerr's finally going to get his just due on how good of a coach he really, really mm-hmm. is this season when the Warriors make the playoffs. I, I think he's going to end up winning the award, although your pick is just as good as, if not better than Yeah, mine. so the the um, the method for determining this one, in my mind, was like, who has the clearest path? And I think Steve Kerr, if it works out the way you, uh, like you think their season will work out, I mean, nobody else is really going to even have a path. Like, if the Warriors end up being that good with this team, nobody's really going to have a path. But my pick was Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. And the Suns are off to a good start. They're 5-2 and two as of right now. And they just have a chance to... I think they have a chance to get like a pretty solid spot in the playoffs. Like a pretty good seed uh, when it's all said and done. And that's kind of the route I took. Just pick the guy with the clearest path. And that'll probably be the one that's most likely to get it. Another guy that's like similar... Um, in terms of the path is Steve Nash because the Nets obviously have room to, like room to be really good. Yeah. Um but the problem with Steve Nash is I don't know if he's a good coach. So Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Steve Nash is gonna be fall just gonna fall back into the fact that he has KD and Kyrie. Yeah. Like I don't think they're gonna be like, Oh my gosh, what he was able to do with this talent. Yeah. Like uh- I don't know. I don't see how Steve Nash could win it, even if they're like the top seed, which it doesn't yeah. look like they're going to be. Because he, I think for Steve Nash to win it, the Nets would have to be really good, and he would have to prove himself like separate from that too. Like he would have to, people would have to think he's one of the reasons why they ended yeah, up. Yeah, one hundred percent. So that's kind of that kind of is an extra roadblock. So, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. That's that's how we see the awards shaking out. Maybe mid season or so, we'll maybe come out with another version yeah. of this. I'm not really sure at this point, but yeah, I mean that's a that's Christian Wood will be at 26 and 12 by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. all right, all right. This personally, I mean, even with the fact that the NFL playoffs are coming around, this is my favorite part of the show. Yeah, me and Henny are gonna get into our five favorite player, like five favorite NBA players of all time. 
And this is like really personal for me. I love basketball a lot, and it's honestly what got me into sports in general. So, really, really excited to talk about this. What do you got, Hanny? You want me to go first? Okay. So, number one, this was honestly a really tough pick. And I'll kind of go into a little bit why this was a tough pick for me. So, I'm a Timberwolves fan. And since I've been alive, and even before that, quite honestly, there hasn't been many, like, great players. Great players that, like, on the Timberwolves that I could, like, attach myself to and root for, you know. They've made, like, one playoff series since I've, like, since I started watching basketball. They've had, like, one winning season. And Kevin Garnett was kind of before my era. I think he left in 2007. Yeah. 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 So, um... So my number one was the guy that kind of got me into basketball. Um, and, you know, it's a popular pick, but I'm going with LeBron. Um, I've told Joe this before that I don't know if I ever would have been interested in basketball like nearly as much as I am if it weren't for LeBron because he was like the superstar and I just I wanted to follow him wherever he went. I followed him when he went to the Heat and I was still like, you know, kind of a Timberwolves fan, but... I just wanted to be a LeBron fan in reality. He felt like the guy to root for. And even when he became like the enemy of the league, um, I always wanted him to win. I don't necessarily, I don't know if I root for him as much anymore, especially since he went to the Lakers. Um, But I I don't know if I would be nearly as into basketball if it weren't for LeBron. So, um, and obviously I don't have to speak on like how great he is, but yeah, that would be my number one pick. So So I'm going to reverse it real quick. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start with my fifth. So, my fifth is Pistol Pete Maravich, and a lot of it's dedicated to a coach that I had in seventh grade that I, he coached me one game, that was it, one game, and his name was Coach Cunningham, and he was just some old dude from New York (laughs) that just loved basketball. You could tell the dude came in with the, some of the people I'm watching, some of the people watching, I'm sure probably remember coach Cunningham dude came in a jumpsuit every day to practice just loved basketball breathed basketball he was a really really good coach too and he talked about pistol pete probably (laughs) once a practice and would tell the story about how his dad would basically tape like the passenger door and they would get it (laughs) so it would stay open yeah he would just drive and pistol pete would dribble the ball outside while he was driving the car yeah just stories like that about how hard he worked. And obviously his dad pushed him really, really hard to be the player that he was because he was a really great coach at LSU. But Pistol Pete, man, like he was ahead of his time. If, if you if you throw Pistol Pete in the league today, like you're, you're looking at a Kyrie Irving-esque type of player. Yeah. And I know this sounds extreme for some small white dude from the 70s, but it just is what it is. His handle was ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. People don't get it. People do not get how good Pistol Pete was at basketball. He just didn't have any structure with the Hawks. There was no structure there. It was a terrible organization, and he basically got thrusted in to be the leader. And yeah. they had some good seasons, nothing spectacular. When He ended up going to Boston, and I, I don't know if he won a championship, but I believe he got close if he didn't. And that was kind of like we could finally see what Pistol Pete would look like in an organization where there was some structure and he was old at the time so we didn't get to see his full potential but man what a guy to go back and watch he's yeah. so fun so crafty just just ahead of his time yeah a legend in the sense that there's just like so many stories about yeah. him or so many 
I sort of I've like seen a movie about Pistol Pete at some point in time. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but yeah, that's yeah. kind of where you learn the legends, like when guys live on through stuff like that. But so we're going in rever- reverse order here. I kind of feel bad for uh, mentioning this number two before you, but I'm going with Kobe. And um, this is another story I've told Joe. My first real like basketball memory I had was when Kobe and the Lakers staged that comeback. Um, and beat the Celtics, and they came back from down like 14 or something like that, 13 or 14, you know, when the Celtics had that monster team, and and they and the Lakers ended up winning the finals. That was like the first real, like, basketball memory I ever had. And, of course, you know, anything about Kobe now is, it's it's hard to talk about, um, but I think, I think we all got a chance to, like, reflect on how much of a legend he was. And I never even knew how much I liked Kobe, like, when he was playing. It kind of hit me, um, you know, about a year ago or so. And um, just like a true legend, somebody that he's going to live on forever. So. Absolutely. Um, I have Larry Bird at my number four. Larry Bird is somebody that a couple years ago, I when I, when I was at WSU, I was... I got really, really into watching just like old sporting events. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what I would do. Like YouTube is an incredible thing. <laughs> and I go on and I just type in these games. And I found a game, and I believe it was the '87 Eastern Conference Finals. I could definitely be wrong on that. And they're playing the Hawks, and him and Dominique both go for forty. And Larry Bird has like twenty something points in the fourth quarter, and he is making shots that don't <laughs> make any sense this dude runs under the basket they bring a double Mm -hmm. and he's basically falling down he's like horizontal throws it up hits it all the backboard and spins it and he gets to the end one it just the stuff that larry bird would do doesn't make any sense he is so underrated and i know everybody has him in his top 10 Mm -hmm. and they're talking nobody understands how good he was in the half court he was as good of a passer as anybody that's ever existed yeah i'll give you a magic is like on the fast break he's mm-hmm. a better passer but in the half court when you just have to create i don't know that there's anybody as good as larry bird i, I yeah. can't say that with confidence that there's anybody better than larry bird he was ahead of his time as far as shooting goes i mean he his shot form was kind of ugly but yeah. it was so efficient and it was the same every time he shot if, the, if he was in the league now, attempting, like, 12 threes a game, 10, 12 threes a game, like, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. He'd be our pick the, for MVP, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally, Larry Bird is so good. And he was not athletic. Yeah. He was just not an athletic guy <laughs> at all. And he was just able to make do with just pure skill and IQ in the game of basketball. Larry Joe Bird is one of the greatest ever go do your homework <laughs> all right so i'll go on to number three and i went with Shaq. I'm, I'm going with a lot of lakers here but anyways um Shaq's one of those guys um everybody obviously i think realizes how great he was i think everybody realizes that at the peak of their powers he's like right up there with anybody Absolutely. um and I think a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate his play style because it's just like sheer dominance, like brute force. But for some reason, I will always just absolutely love like watching Shaq highlights almost more than any other player. I don't really get tired of like the brute force, quite honestly. And 
and now he's like such a fun personality too. I mean, you know, it kind of I think it kind of wears on people, especially Charles Barkley, you know. But Shaq is just—he's one of those guys I wish I could have seen more of. Like, I wish I could have been born in the era where I could have watched him because it must have been crazy every night, like finding out what Shaq put up, especially in those finals where he would have like monster series and stuff like that. Um, and it's not really the same, like going back and looking back at those, even if it's crazy. Um, He's just a guy I wish I could have seen like in real time. So, yeah, Shaq was a uh, Shaq was one I definitely thought about putting on my list. I just I haven't watched him enough to truly feel that way. My third is is somebody that I don't think gets enough credit. Definitely not. Yeah. And it's Dennis Rodman. I I love Dennis Rodman. And I, the thing that really caught my eye. I'm not sure how old I was, but I was watching TV and it brought up the the interview after he won the Defensive Player of the mm-hmm. Year when he was on the Pistons. And he's just bawling his eyes out. And he won Defensive Player of the Year. Like, you could just tell how much he cared. You could just tell. You knew it meant everything to him. And, like, anybody who's played basketball knows just the pest. Like, the player that is just a pest that plays you super hard on defense, is always diving for the loose balls, constantly fouling you trying to get every rebound every time a shot goes up he's throwing a body on you like those are the players that are really really hard to play against like the guys that are really skilled and are casual about it obviously they're like they're really good at basketball they do their thing but the people dennis robin those are the people you hate to play those are the people that you hate to play and during the last dance documentary when he's talking about how he like learned how to rebound yeah and he, how he studied it oh when magic shoots it <laughs> it goes over and it cl- usually clanks back when jordan misses it he misses it short and it goes straight down and he's talking about all this yeah. it's just ridiculous you could tell how much he loved the game and i love players that you can just tell love the game yeah i mean he's a weird dude he's a weird dude like talk about like how you just go party you go party all night but then he come into practice and he would just outrun everybody. Yeah. Because he, he just he cared so much. And even if off off the court maybe he wasn't as uh, focused as he could have been. Maybe had he been that focused and everything, maybe he wouldn't have turned out the way it was. Yeah. I love me some Dennis Rodman. And just one of the people that doesn't get enough love when we look back at the game. Yeah. Okay, so my number uh, four here is I had to go with the T-Wolf. And this isn't just like because I had to put a T-Wolf on there. I truly do love this player. And it's because he's been probably one of the two like truly great players since I've started watching the T-Wolves. Like Kevin Love, you know, obviously was there too. Um, but I've always been more attached to Carlton City Towns. Like, you know, coming to the league. like, And he was just crazy good from, from day one. And it was finally like... Even though the the Timberwolves franchise is still a mess, we know that in one way there is some some stability there, and he's I hope he's going to stay around for the long run. Um, and you know I I don't think I would necessarily put him on here if if he wasn't um, if he was on any other team. But uh, it's nice to be able to attach yourself to like a player from your franchise because I have a lot of guys on here that you know like a lot of Lakers players and stuff, um, but. It's different when it's like somebody on your own team. So, all right. Um. So my second favorite player of all time is Steph Curry. I. It, I mean, it's that's such a. That's just an answer that like I feel like most people are gonna have. It's not. It's it's kind of boring. But that dude is just. It doesn't make any sense what he's able to do on the basketball court. Like how great of a shooter he is. 
the amount of time you have to put into your craft to be that great at shooting. And a lot of people don't think about it, but shooting is like kind of similar. It's a weird, it's a weird um, comparison, but like kind of kicking field goals Mm -hmm. where a lot of it's just mental. Yeah. A lot of it is just telling yourself that this shot is going in and you're telling yourself that every single time you shoot. It is hard to be a great shooter over a long period of time and to stay as consistent as he has and to shoot as many threes as he does and to stay over 40 yeah. for his career. It just it really doesn't make any sense. And the fact that they can run their offense the way they do because you have to guard Steph you probably have to guard Steph within like maybe like eight nine feet of the three point line. Yeah. Like you really do. Like you have to check him because that's the same shot to him as him being just at the three point line. Like it's really yeah. not a difference. He just has to put a little more power into it. It doesn't make any sense. Like even players like Dame right now, Trey Young, like they can do it, but they just they don't do it the same way Steph does. Yeah. And Steph, I mean Steph to me has the best handles in the league. I know it's debatable. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people will go with Kyrie, but Kyrie, yeah. I think Kyrie's a little more flash, and he's a little more. It's a little more uh, appealing to watch mm-hmm. with how Kyrie does it than it is with Curry. But Curry uses his handles to just get buckets constantly. None of it's for flash. None of it's wasted movement. It's all with a purpose. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people don't focus on as far as handles go. It's like your handles. Everything you do has to be done with a purpose, and Steph does that. And the way they're able to run their offense, where they just keep running, they just keep running over and over off the screens. It's all it's the, it's the precedent he sets with his conditioning that everybody else kind of has to follow. And like I was always a, I was always like a secret Warriors fan because I was like super embarrassed. <laughs> I was just, I was embarrassed. Like everybody hated the Warriors so much. That I was like, oh, I don't want to like I don't want to be that guy. But like over recent years, I've kind of come to admit it. Like, I just, I love the Warriors. I love the Warriors a lot, and I know it kind of makes me a bandwagon, but Steph is just that dude, and he is so fun to watch, and like, I just don't know that we're going to, I don't know how we're going to see a player again that's as polarizing as Steph is. All right, to finish off my list, um, I went with Hakeem Olajuwon, and I, I also realized from this, I have a lot of Lakers, and I have a lot of big men, and... um and kind of the same, it's a different, it's certainly a different style play between Shaq and Hakeem Olajuwon, but I love them for the same reason in the sense that their highlights never will get boring. Like, never. Um, and Hakeem had such a, like, unique way of playing the game that, you know, even a, a lot of guys, you know, if they try to copy what he did, it's it's not really the same. And it's, again, like Shaq, it's one of those guys you wish you could have been there for because he doesn't necessarily get as much appreciation as, you know, a lot of it's because of Jordan in that era. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of guys in Jordan's era kind of got overshadowed. And I think Hakeem was probably the best of them. And, uh, yeah, and it, it just one of the most fun players ever to watch. Um, so Yeah, I mean, I kind of even want to touch on Hakeem a little bit. Like, the Dream nickname. Yeah, oh, best nickname ever. It's just it's, M- maybe the best nickname ever. It's ridiculous. And, like, the fact that guards will reach out to him <laughs> to work on their footwork. Yeah. It's just insane like the the moves he put on like the like what he did to Shaq in that finals. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Like I guess yeah. Shaq wasn't like Shaq yet. Yeah. But he I mean, he put him in a blender. Yeah. Like it was it was bad. Like he won two finals. One of the finals he won, nobody on his team had ever been an all-star. <laughs> 
he he kind of put the team on. Like, he was able to kind of put the team on his back. Hey, Kenny he was... the Jet, man. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Hakeem was so great. Yeah, he was somebody I really I did want to put on my list, but I had to throw Pistol Pete on there. Yeah. Um, my number one, as I'm sure anybody that knows me that's watching this knows, it, it's Kobe. Like I. Like, it's almost, I, I almost, like, start to tear up every time I, I talk about Kobe. Because, like, now that he's passed away, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel real at all. Like, it doesn't, like, it's, it seems like he's supposed to be in the crowd of the next Laker game or something. Kobe's was started all this off for me. Like, as a little kid, I was, like, I was going to grow up to be some, like, country boy or whatever. And I remember my uncle, he moved, he moved to Spokane. And he started playing, he put on Lakers games, and he put on Sports Center. I was like, this is stupid, Uncle Rudy. I don't want to watch Sports Center. This is stupid. This is stupid. And the first sporting event I'd ever actually sat down and watched was the 2008 Finals when they lost. But I had just I I could just see the will to win inside of him and how much it meant. You could just feel it. I think everybody talks about his work ethic. It's the Mamba mentality. You can just feel it. You can feel it even when they were losing. Even though they lost, like, you just knew, like, he was that guy. And he was what got me into sports. Like, I I, I don't even know that I'm, like, a diehard 49er fan without Kobe. Like, I can't, gar- I can't guarantee any of this stuff. He's the beginning of it all. Yeah. I, man, he just got such a special place in my heart. I cannot believe he's gone. I, I'm, like, the day he passed away, I just, like, went and hooped for, like, five hours. So, I was like, this is, the only, this is, like, the only thing I'm supposed to do today. He... He is just everything. He, how hard he worked, like how patented down every one of his moves got, how perfect it got, his work ethic, like all these stories of just how hard the guy worked. Like it's hard to be great. It's mm-hmm. hard to be great, and not a lot of people want it, but he wanted it every single day. And I think so many people felt that, like when he passed away. It was it was crazy to see the outpour of emotion and just how much he meant to everybody because it was like it was really cool to kind of see like everybody else kind of feels the same way I do about Kobe. Yeah, he's just I mean he's my favorite he's just my favorite athlete of all time. Nobody really even comes that close. Like Kobe's everything to me. And that's uh yeah that's both of our five favorite players of all time. This was a really cool segment for us to do. Really glad we did it. Yeah, it's a good, good, good segment for the first show for sure. Yeah, glad we got to wrap it up with Kobe, especially especially your perspective on yeah. it. So, all right, all right. So coming on this segment of the Henny and Juice podcast, we're going to end it out with some NBA playoff predictions. We'll do one through ten seeds, East and West. We're going to kick it off to Henny to start off the East. What you got? Yeah. So now there's uh, ten seeds for uh, each conference, um, and then there's a play in play in like playoff system for the six th- or the seven through ten. Uh, we'll kind of go into that when we uh, get there. But um, I'm going to start off with the East. We'll go one through six. Uh, th- number one seed, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I don't expect the team to be too different from last year. I still think they're you know about as good. But much like the number two seed I have, which is the 76ers, who are off to a really hot start, uh, have the best record in the NBA, it's kind of a question about the playoffs for both these teams. Um, I think they both have a chance to like make it out of the East when it's all said and done, but um, they do have to prove themselves. Uh, so, uh, At three and four, I have the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets in that order. The Nets are really the exciting team, I guess, of the NBA this season. Absolutely. Out of like all the teams, I would say. 
um, KD, Kyrie, and then Steve Nash, a coach who we talked about earlier. But, um, yeah, so I have them behind the Celtics. I didn't really know exactly where to put the Nets, but um, they certainly have a, a really high ceiling. So uh, at 5-6, and six, uh, to close off this part, um, I have the Heat and then the Indiana Pacers. Uh, the Heat, it's another team. Didn't know exactly where to put them. I don't think they'll be at the top of the conference. Um, made the finals last season. And I feel like they'll kind of drop off a little bit. I still think they're a good team, have a chance to like make it out of the East. Absolutely. But yeah. And then six, uh, I have the Pacers. And then I'll hand it to you, and then we'll get into the madness of 7 through 10. <laughs> okay. So I have the, uh, the Bucks at the number one seed in the East. I really don't feel like people are talking about the addition of Drew Holiday enough. Drew Holiday is one bad man. You know, shout out another podcast here. Doubt they're ever going to see this, but all the Smokes podcasts I really like to watch. And a lot of the times they ask the guests who the most underrated player in the league is. And I want to say 30 episodes in a row, <laughs> they said Drew Holiday. Every single player said Drew Holiday. Nobody said anybody else. It was Drew Holiday over and over. He might be the best individual defender in the league, especially if, as far as guards go. Like I don't even know that there's anybody that's in his in his range right now. He is just incredible. So you add Drew Holiday to a Bucks team that was already the best defensive team in the league last year. I, I don't see how they're not going to be the number one seed. I understand thus far they're not the number one seed, but I they care a lot about the regular season. It's very clear, and I think they're gonna. I I. I think that they're going to be better in the playoffs this year than they've been but i don't see them taking their foot off the gas in the regular season at all second seed i have the celtics right now they're definitely i wouldn't say they're off to a slow start by any means but i wouldn't say they're at their potential right now because kemba is dealing with some injuries and kemba walker is a huge part of that team kemba's just one of those guys where he's he's not concerned with his scoring at all but if you need him to give you 25, he'll give you 25. When he, when he's back there playing fully healthy, the, the sky's the limit for the Celtics, honestly. With the duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I don't think anybody could have seen how like good they were going to be. Specifically Jalen Brown. They got a lot of hate for that pick. Yeah. Very unwarranted. He was just he went to a, like, kind of a smaller school. It's not it's not a small school, but <laughs> kind of a smaller one as far as basketball goes. And it's like, I don't know. We we really really underrated Jalen Brown, and kind of now we're seeing how good he is. He's not quite at Tatum's level, but he's not that far off. They're an incredible duo. You add Kemba. I mean, I don't see why they're not going to be the second seed in the conference. They're going to be trying in the regular season. They're not just going to be waiting out the playoffs. Third seed, the 76ers. The 76ers currently have a six and two record. They're sitting at the top of the East. It's kind of typical for Doc Rivers to take his foot off the gas towards the end of the season. Just trying to keep guys healthy, keep guys fresh. That's just kind of always been what Doc Rivers does. So I think they're going to end up finishing around the third seed. They're talented enough to be the number one seed, though. Absolutely. This addition of Seth Curry. like I, He's been on fire. He's been on fire. Yeah. I was so concerned about the trade for Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. <laughs> I, th- I literally thought the 76ers lost that trade. And... Thus far, it's worked out well for both teams. As expected, like I wasn't saying that the 76ers were getting robbed by any means, but I didn't understand the impact Seth was going to have on the team this year. It's been extraordinary. Pacers, man, they play a, like a 90s brand of basketball. Even though Nate McMillan's not the coach anymore, 
he seems to have left the type of imprint that Mark Jackson left on the Warriors where they just play tough. Yeah. They're great on defense. Malcolm Brogdon. I've never heard somebody get clowned more when he won Rookie of the Year. <laughs> it's the amount of who memes that came out. It was just baffling how he is showing everybody how good he is. He is great on both sides of the floor. He can be a triple-double guy when needed. So Bonus is a killer. This man has got some footwork. Like, let me tell you about it. This man got some footwork. He's doing things to people that should be getting him texts. So good. Victor Aldadipo didn't have a season he wanted to have last year. He's been kind of riddled by injuries. There was some turmoil he wanted to get out of Indiana. Indiana said, so you're not going nowhere. And... I'm putting together a good season, and that's why I have him at the fourth seed. I, I don't think there's – they seem like one of those teams that's going to be a lot more concerned about the playoffs, although I think their talent is going to make them good enough to be a top seed in the East. I have the Hawks at the fifth seed. This might come as a surprise to some people, but I think when Rajon Rondo gets back in there and is running the bench, I, I don't – like that bench is going – to work well it is just going to if you have Rajon Rondo running your offense you're going to at least at the you're at least going to be consistent 100% he's going I mean, he's already got to be helping Trey Young so much even if he's not on the floor Rondo is he's just one of my he's one of my favorite players ever I love Rajon Rondo he's such a good passer the mentality he brings to the floor he's just incredible so that's why I have the Hawks at the fifth seed. And then coming to the sixth... Oh, actually, I think I had that messed up. No, at the, yeah, at the sixth seed, I have the Nets. I know it's kind of bold to say the Nets are going to like kind of barely make it in. But right now, they're 4-4. Four and four. KD is going to be out for some games. I think they're going to have like the 2011 Miami Heat syndrome where like they're going to lose some games. They're going to lose some games they're not supposed to lose. But I think they're gonna. Like, I think they're gonna figure it out. Like yeah. come playoff time, they're gonna figure it out. Like Katie and Kyrie are too talented not to figure it out. I just. I think there's gonna be some bumps in the road. They're both ISO players. Although, although Katie always talks about how he likes to get his buckets in the flow of the game. So it's like he's an ISO player, but he's not just taking the ball randomly and just putting up shots. It's always in the flow. Kyrie, I can't say the same. I mean, you saw where the Celtics were with him and what what they are without him. It's. Kyrie's definitely not one of my favorite players in the league, but he's extremely talented, and I mean they're going to be in the playoffs. I just I see them being a little bit of a lower seed and almost a disappointment as far as regular season goes. But that does not mean I think they're going to be out in the first round or anything like that. Yeah. All right. So then when we get to seven through ten, it's no longer one through eight. Um, there's a play-in, and essentially it works like the seven and eight seed uh, they play each other, and then the loser of that plays the winner of a game between the 9th and 10th seed. And I believe those two teams uh, are like the 7th and end up being the 7th and 8th seed. So the winner of the 7-8 game and then the winner of basically the bottom three teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a mess around 7 through 10, I would say, for the East. just it, It's kind of almost like the, the NFC this season in football. Um it's just not a conference that's like strong enough to support this many playoff teams. It feels Absolutely like right now. Not. So seven, seven. I feel like I actually have a good team here. The Atlanta Hawks. You had them um, at five, I believe. Yep. So I have a, I have them a couple spots lower. But then after that, I feel like there's a pretty significant drop off. It's funny because there's there's a cutoff after six in the actual playoff seating, but I feel like the real cutoff uh, 
comes at seven, at least with the way I have it ordered. Um, I I feel like the Hawks will end up being one of like the top uh, eight seeds and make it through that play. And if they end up in the bottom, mm-hmm. the bottom four. Um, and then the three I have after that, uh, making up the eight, nine, ten, are the Bulls, Raptors, and Wizards. Uh, Riz- the Wizards are off to a pretty rocky start. Um, they beat my Timberwolves without Westbrook. I don't know how that happened, uh, but um, I don't know. I don't see many teams like sneaking up on them and like being able to grab those like nine and ten seed. I think the Wizards are better than like the bottom feeders of the East, certainly. So. Um, yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how the play in, no matter what teams end up as those 7, 8, 9, and 10 um, plays out, especially in the East. So, Okay, so what I, what I know at this point is, like, the Cavaliers and the Knicks, like, they're both in the top. They're both top six seeds right now. Mm-hmm. I don't trust them, as I'm sure none of you do. Like, the Cavs, I mean, the Cavs have always been bad, but it's not like the Knicks situation. So, like, the Cavs, they could end up being a good team. Like, I'm not trying to shit on them or anything. But the Knicks, like, ah, James Dolan being the owner, like, I think what they're doing right now is they're trying to just put Julius Randle in the forefront, and I think they're going to try to get, like, some good picks for him. I don't think they're going to end up actually keeping him. So, I don't know. I don't see the Knicks making the playoffs. I don't see the Cavaliers making the playoffs. So, just a little disclaimer there because they're, like, in the top, but I kind of just have them... Honestly, I'm in a pretty bad rest of the season, but we'll see. I have the Heat as a seven seed, and it kind of hurt to put them as low as they are. It's just the teams above them, like, I I couldn't justify having them above. So, the Heat were in the finals last year. But the really weird thing about the Heat is, like, the team is not... They're a really good team. They play really well together, but individual talent-wise... It's nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. I, I think they got really. I think they got a really, really good opportunity with the bubble. Yeah, and I think it was just like the type of situation where the team that had the, the mental fortitude to make it was going to make it. Yeah, they had a really nice matchup that they got to play the Bucks in the second round. Like, I have my criticism with Giannis. I'm not going to get into that, but they were. I mean, they were able to really slow Giannis down. He had some big games, especially when he got hurt in the last one, when it looked like the Bucks might actually have a chance to come back. So that that I, I kind of really felt bad, but. They kind of just made the most of their opportunities. And I see that kind of happening. I'm definitely not making the finals. But, I mean, when they're in that 7-8 game with I have the magic at the 8. Yeah, yeah. I The Heat are going to be in it. Like, I don't see how they're not going to. Tyler Hero, Bam, Jimmy, Dragic. Like, they... It's, it's a very good team. It's just not better than like the Nets or to me even the Hawks I just don't think they have the star power of Trey Young on that team yeah the Magic (laughs) the Magic are funny because I kind of just wrote off the Knicks and the Cavs (laughs) but I didn't write off the Magic the Magic are just they're playing so good right now Markel Fultz oh my god did I oh did I just go in on Markel Fultz those first couple years did I I mean everybody was honestly oh man it was just it was it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen where it was like the reports were coming out I don't know how he he, recovered from it honestly it's it's yeah I can't believe he kept getting opportunities yeah because they kept like he literally forgot how to shoot the basketball (laughs) it's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life yeah he forgot how to shoot the basketball like you could see it in the games too like it wasn't just speculation his jump shot had completely changed and calling that a jump shot is kind of generous. 
So I have the Magic in. I, I think they're going to – they have a good enough record right now where if they can just play some solid basketball the rest of the way out, they can be in those play-in games. I don't necessarily have 8, 9, or 10 set in stone. I feel very confident with the top seven. Are the Bulls coming in at the ninth seed? It's just Zach Levine's time. Zach Levine's time. It is just – he is so good. He's so good. People just don't get it. Like Everybody just thinks of him as the dunk contest champion, but this guy is a bucket. He plays really good defense, too. He can facilitate the ball. He's not selfish. He's just like the type of star you want on your team. He's quiet. He's just just a grinder. Like, Zach Levine is awesome. Larry Markkinen, I mean, everybody knows how good he is. He is just so fundamentally sound. He can shoot, score from all three levels. It's everything you want in a, in a big man in today's game. Outside yeah. of maybe, like, some defensive lapses. Which, I mean, nobody plays defense anymore. kind of just says what it is. Like, it's not a major focus anymore. He's a great player. The Wizards, I have coming in at the 10th seed, which is kind of crazy. Because if I would have done this game zero, like, we've only seen preseason games. Mm-hmm. I might have had him at five. Yeah. I'd have had him at five or six. I mean, you kind of just... I mean, certainly higher than 10. Yeah, yeah Russell we Westbrook there, yeah. and Bradley Beal. Like, that's just... That's a duo in the East... Where you're just expecting playoffs. Yeah. Like, 100%. But they're doing so bad right now. Russell Westbrook's production. Like, Russell Westbrook already already had issues with his field goal percentage. But this season, his field goal percentage from two-point range is just abysmal. Like, even two-point range. But he's just getting up enough shots where he can still get his buckets. He's still mm-hmm. rebounding well. He's still assisting well. He still brings that energy to the floor every night that's just contagious. So, you can give him that. I just I don't see how they don't at least make the play in games. Like I had trouble. Like I was gonna put the Raptors in, but I was just I just decided not to. I I really didn't understand what happened last year. How they were as good as they were. I I really didn't, and I don't see them recovering this season to a point where they're gonna be even in the play in games. I could obviously completely be completely wrong, and they could swap out the Magic Bulls, even the Wizards, but. Yeah, that's my ten in the East, and I'd say I'm pretty confident, at least with the ten teams I have. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's like tier breaks in the East. Like there's a clear like, especially like where we kind of ended up at, like se- like one through seven. You can arrange it in like however you want, but then after that, it gets it gets pretty shaky. And we have, I think we have almost all the same teams. You have the Magic in, I have the Raptors in. Yep. Um, but yeah, honestly, what I see with the East is. It feels like a lot of teams with a lot to prove. I know everything. every team thinks they have a lot to prove, but like genuinely in the East, it does feel that way. Okay, so we're going to move to the West, and I'll kick it off again, go one through six. Uh, number one, I have the Lakers, and number two, I have the Clippers. Uh, this shouldn't really surprise anybody, I wouldn't imagine. Lakers would be my pick to win it all right now. Um, I'm sure they're most people's picks. And then the Clippers... I mean, we missed out on the Lakers-Clippers Western Conference Finals. Um, and, and you know, I don't know if the, those two teams are going to end up 1-2. and two, um, But I really hope we get a Western Conference Finals with both LA yeah, teams. I think everybody's kind of hoping for that. Like, there's some other fun teams in the West. Um, but, you know, I, a lot of people want to see LeBron. Everybody wants to see the Lakers. And then the Clippers, we want to find out if they're for real or not. So, um, especially with the way they went out last season. So, 
Three and four, I got the Nuggets and the Suns. Now, the Nuggets are just like very consistent at this point. They kind of had a, a slow start in their first like handful of games or something, but now they're kind of back on track. Um, uh, and then the Suns are just like a really exciting team, I would say, like on the rise. Of course, they had that monster performance in the bubble last season. Um, and then still didn't make it. Uh, yeah, still didn't uh, make it. Uh, but now they got. Chris Paul and then you know Devin Booker. I mean, Devin Booker is like insanely good, and I think everybody realizes it. And they just kind of want to see him in the playoffs, yeah, like for everybody. once, so they like get a chance to actually watch him. And then I think I had a Monty Williams as my coach of the year, yeah. so that I, I think that would make sense if the Suns do end up around four or five. Um, that would kind of be the path I was explaining for Monty Williams to win coach of the year. So uh, five and six. I have the Utah Jazz and the Trailblazers. Um, Trailblazers, I, it, it's always tough to like. I always have trouble like figuring out where to put them near the beginning of the season because they always seem to like make noise in the playoffs, especially Dame and stuff. And Dame could do. I feel like he's like a legit MVP candidate, as we kind of mentioned earlier. Um, and so, but I I have them just sneaking into like the top six, and then the Jazz. It's another team. It's like very consistent. But never really – it seems like they disappoint a lot in the playoffs. Um, so two pretty different teams there. The Trailblazers are really exciting. But unfortunately, I just don't think the Trailblazers, as they're currently constructed, like can really compete in the West. Like be a legit contender to make the finals. Uh, that, that's at least the way I see it. Um, so I'll hand it off to you. That's my one through six. <clears throat> okay, so we – I'd say we have some pretty similar thoughts on the way kind of things are going to shake out in the West. couple bottom half – we're a little bit different, mm-hmm. but I, I think the Clippers are going to win the West. And my reasoning for that is I just think the Clippers, they just, they have to be pissed off. Yeah. If they're not, that's a problem. Yeah. Then they're definitely not for real. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's Paul George and Kawhi, they just, they have to prove it. Like, they they just have to prove that, like, last season just just things went wrong. Like, that it wasn't indicative of who they are as a team. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody thought it was going to be Lakers-Clippers. Like, oh. every single person and thought that. a lot of people had Clippers over the Lakers, yeah, too. Yeah, a lot so. of people did. Yeah. The the sad part, though, is, like, the Lakers did improve a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I do have the I do have the Lakers in my second seed. I, I think the Lakers are just so talented mm-hmm. that they're just going to win games. But I don't think they care about the seeding in any way, shape, or form. Like, yeah. I, think Le- I think they could end up as the fifth seed and LeBron would not care. Like, it's just not an issue. In Cleveland, it was never an issue. I don't see why it's a problem now. They won the title last year. They don't have anything to prove as far as the regular season goes. Yeah. I don't think they're chasing awards at all. I think they're just chasing finals victories. I have the Nuggets at three, so same there. Oh, my gosh, Nikola Jokic. Dude, if you guys haven't been watching Nuggets games... You know, watch you some Nuggets games, all right? And you need to see what this dude brings to the table. They they run like a warrior style offense. It's very different. It's very different. A lot of it's a the Nuggets run a lot of DHOs. The Warriors run a lot of uh, screen aways, so Steph can run up, get the pass. With uh, the Nuggets, it's a lot of Jokic goes into the post, and then they he hits he hits Murray, he hits Harris. That's kind of the way they usually work it off. Jokic is like averaging double digit assists right now. And it's like it's not even like it's on like ten point six. He's averaging like thirteen or something. Yeah. You think like, he has any shot at MVP? 
He's got a shot. Yeah. He's definitely got a shot. He had an 18 assist game. This <laughs> 18 assists. Like, yeah. that doesn't even make any sense. He's got a shot, especially if they end up the third seed and he just is playing the way he's playing. Like, he also he also lost some weight, which you can kind of just tell. Like, he's not as winded late. Like, they always kind of... I don't want to. I don't want to necessarily say he had a minutes restriction, kind of like Giannis did, but they were always weary of the minutes they were giving yeah. him, just to kind of save him late. But now it kind of seems like in a close game, they can kind of just leave him in there. They don't have to worry about. They don't have to worry about at the ten minute mark of the fourth quarter taking him out, so they can put him back with five minutes left just to get him that rest. It's kind of like he can play. Right, the, losing the weights helped his conditioning a lot. At the four seed, I have the Suns, both also the same. Yeah. Monty Williams is a great coach. I mean, he's he had a bad luck of the draw when he was like coaching the Hornets a while ago. I think he, I think one problem he had is he was a little bit stuck in his ways. Kind of great coaches. What great coaches do is they don't put the players in a system; they build the system around the players. Mm-hmm. And I think Monty Williams didn't really realize that his first go around. He's always been a great guy. He's always had a great basketball IQ. But I think he was trying to fit players in a system that didn't work for those players. And I think. With the Suns, and especially Chris Paul being as old as he is, like they, they they're going to kind of play basketball the way it fits. And Monty Williams is just going to be like, like Chris Paul's almost going to be the coach on the court. But I'm not taking anything away from Monty Williams. Yeah, yeah. It seems like Monty Williams is going to be able to take a little bit of a step back, and he's just going to be able to be like a great motivator, a great teacher, and then uh, drop like great out of bounds plays, stuff like that. Fifth seed, I have the Mavs. All right, this one, this one's tough. The Mavericks are a hard team to read because even last year, they were the eighth seed, and they got Josh Richardson, but they lost Seth Curry. So it's, I don't know that they necessarily improved or like lost talent. So it's kind of you just got to hope Porzingis is going to be able to stay healthy. Yeah, and you got to be able to hope Luca is going to be able to stay healthy, and he's Luca's going to have to play at a crazy level offensively mm-hmm. for them to end up at this five seed. But I believe he will. Yeah, I think they can expect that of him. Yeah, I, I believe so, and I don't see any reason the Mavs aren't going to be able to be competing, just like com- like competing for the West. Like I think there's so many teams right now. Like there's even teams that I have in the plans that I think could win it. Like it's kind of crazy. So at this. Uh, at the sixth seed, I have the Warriors making it in, uh, so they don't have to do any playing games. Um, I just Steph Curry, man, he's—I mean, to me, he's one of the fifteen best players of all time. That's kind of a—it's kind of a hot take, but I genuinely feel that way. I genuinely feel that all—you can put almost any players around him as long as they're willing to work hard and run the floor, they can be successful. Especially having Draymond there, Draymond. You guys, I people hate on Draymond so much. People hate on Draymond, and I get it. I get it. He's had some. He's been a dirty player at times. He can be kind of annoying at times. Like every time he commits a foul, yeah. <laughs> every time he commits a foul, like he's crying about it. Even when he, even when it was clearly a foul. So that's just kind of the player Draymond is. But if you set that aside and you just watch the player, right? He is so talented. He is so smart. I was watching. It was a crazy, crazy fast break play, right? So we had it was a it was a three three fast break. Draymond's dribbling down the floor, and Steph just veers off to the side, right? And he gets one guy to guard him, but then he gets the other guy in the post attention. So Draymond is dribbling down. He moves left and then does a pass like this. 
bounce pass, perfect guy, easy layup, wide open. This is the type of player he is. He's able to get everybody he passes to a great shot. And even if he doesn't, he's going to pass to that guy so he can pass to a person for a great shot. That's kind of the way the Warriors work. That's why I love watching them so much. There's like a picture, and obviously Clay's not on the team, but it's one of my favorite pictures ever. And they're both wide open for three, and they're pointing oh, at yeah. each other. Yeah. <laughs> that is the Warriors in a nutshell. Right there. And that's why I love them so much. And even with the lack of talent that they have this season, I just think Steph is so good and that system is so good that they're going to be able to end up being the succeed. Yeah. All right. So now the play-in teams, uh, 7 through 10. So I got the Mavericks at 7. And I have them at 7, but I feel like they're a team that could, if any one of these 1 through 6 uh, teams like falter in any way, um, that the Mavericks will be there to not have to be in the play-in. I think they'll certainly make the playoffs. Um, and I think they could end up, you know, if Portland kind of drops off a little bit or if Phoenix isn't as good as we're expecting, the, I think the Mavericks could very well end up 5-6 seed. Um, and then at 8, I have the Rockets, who, I don't know, they're kind of a mess with the whole James Harden situation. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if there's been too many updates on it like lately, but it, it still seems like he's kind of on the way out, like yep. one way or another. One foot on the floor, one foot on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I have Joe's uh, number six team, the Warriors at nine. Um, I'm just not as confident in them, uh, but you know, Steph, he hurt all the haters. I don't think I was that outspoken of a hater, but apparently, you know, he just kind of took it all in and <laughs> dropped the 62 point game. <laughs> Um, and it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard to bet against the Warriors like two seasons in a row now, especially with Steph back. And I assume he'll be incredible. So, and then the, for the number 10 and final seed, I have the Pelicans who again are like a fun team. I think they're, I think everybody kind of wants them to be in the playoffs, but I don't know if they have it all together at this moment. Um, and so so if it shakes out the way I have it, 7, 8, 9, and 10, uh, it would be the Warriors and the Pelicans playing as the 9 and 10 matchup, the Mavericks and the Rockets playing as the 7, 8. And so uh, two of those teams would end up getting the playoff spot. So, yeah, that's how I have it. All right, so I have the Pelicans at the 7 seed. I think the addition of Stan Van Gundy is extremely underrated. Like, the defensive culture he's going to bring to the team and the attention to detail that he's going to give all these young guys, it's so important. The attention to detail, like, learning how to be a pro. There's so much more to it than just being good at the game. Like, you have to be smart on the floor. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know your assignments. You have to know the little things that these guys that have been in the league for 10 years are going to try to do to you. And that's the reason young teams typically struggle. So that's why I really yeah. like the addition of Stan Van Gundy. They have a great vet in J.J. Redick. Lonzo Ball is one of my favorite players in the league. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think Lonzo is going to be able to like finally make that like finally make that jump that so many like loyal fans like me have just been praying for him to make. Like I think he's going to do it this season. He's shooting so confidently. He's shooting so confidently. I'm not exactly sure what the percentages are, but. It just seemed like even when he go to shoot a layup, little little floater, there was no confidence. And that's like I was saying it earlier. That's what shooting is. It's confidence. That's all. I mean, obviously you got to have good form. got to be consistent with how you shoot the ball. But confidence is everything. You have to believe that every shot you take is going to go in. And I think that Lonzo is finally, he's like finally there. And I think that's going to take him to new heights. 
And I think the, when, when he's able to put up 15, 16 a game, that's going to open up the floor for everybody else. Mm-hmm. When you have to actually guard Lonzo at the three-point line when he dribbles up every time, and you have to suck these guys up, He's like, there's going to be just so many backdoor opportunities for Ingram and Zion. It's, I just see there's just so much talent on this team that I think that they're going to be able to put it all together. They're doing really good right now. They're in a, they wouldn't be in a play-in if the playoffs started today, but obviously we're, what, seven, eight games yeah, in. Yeah. So I'm very I'm I'm high on the Pelicans. I they could they could even like swap the maps almost to where they could be the fifth or Warriors could be fifth and Mavs could be in the play and like I'm that confident in the Pelicans. Dang. I'm the Jazz at the eight seed. This is one I struggle with because the Jazz have always been a really hard team for me to read. Just yeah. in general, like, I don't understand. I consider myself like pretty like, a high high IQ basketball fan. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why the Jazz are as good as they are. Yeah. I really don't. Like, I understand Mike Conley, Mitchell, Gobert, Joe Ingles. Like, they're good. Like, they just, they just play so well together. And I think the chemistry is so good between those guys. Yeah. That they're just, they're able to make it work. They're, they play, and Rudy Gobert is just, like, one of the best rim protectors in the league. One mm-hmm. of the best team players. Just got a big extension, right? Yep. Yeah. So, I just, the Jazz are going to at least be in those top 10 seeds and they could make me look like an idiot and they could be like the fourth seed and it would not so- it would not shock yeah. me at all. Like, you have them at the fifth seed, correct? Yeah, I have them at five. Yeah. yeah. So, I have the Blazers at the ninth seed. I, I'm just always so low on the Blazers and I, I really don't understand why. Coming into every season, I'm just like low on them. This season, it was even harder, but there's just so much talent in the West. I mean, I know it's every year people are talking about it, but like, I mean, it was even hard to like leave off the Kings. The Kings are playing great basketball right now. Yeah, and they're—I I don't even have them in. Like the West is so good. So the Blazers being at nine, like I don't think that's necessarily disrespectful. I can understand it though, but the problem is defensively, it's just not there. Like it's never been a point of emphasis for Dame or CJ. Like that was why when it was basically Dame and CJ versus Steph and Clay. In that West, in the Western Conference Finals, they couldn't. They 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 really didn't have a chance. Yeah, they got swept. It's kind of crazy, but it's because yeah. even though Steph doesn't necessarily play defense, he's a great he's a great zone defender. Mm-hmm. He's great at being at the right spots. He's not a good individual defender. Clay is just. Oh, I mean, yeah. everybody knows about Clay. Clay yeah. is like maybe right behind Drew Holiday, as far as individual guards go defensively. It, the Blazers with Melo coming off the bench. Mello, they're playing through Mello off the bench. Like that's crazy to even think about. It really is. Like they, they're a good team. They're a good team, and I'm not trying to disrespect them at all. Having them at the ninth seed, I just think the talent ahead of them. They just there's better defenders. I, I just think the star power of Luca and Steph outweighs what the Blazers have to offer. <clears throat> at the ten seed, I have the Rockets. They just. I don't know what's going on with them right now. Like, there's so much talent on that team with John Wall, James Harden, Boogie, Christian Christian Wood, Wood. (laughs) the boy. And it just seems like, it just, it seems like James Harden is just putting so much turmoil into that locker room. Yeah. Just being so toxic to that team that it's just, it's overcoming them. I mean, the Rockets could end up just going on a run for the rest of the season, though. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me. But I just... 
I don't know. I think with James Harden just being in the situation he is right now, I just I, th- I don't think the guys are like rallying around him. And I think when you have a team that's just really really egocentric, it's just not gonna work. But I mean, you get him in the test seed, they're in it. Yeah, they're in it to make the playoffs, and with all that talent, they could pull it together. But yeah, I don't know. When you have a team with that much turmoil, and you're going against all the other teams in the West that don't have that turmoil. I just I don't see how the Rockets are going to be able to overcome that and like just come together as a team and bring all that talent in together and yeah. make it work. I th- I think uh, Silas is a good coach. I think he's going to be good for them. I think he's going to he's going to make them a little more disciplined, especially on the defensive end. Even though they played great defense last year, which nobody ever wants to talk about. Yeah, that's a uh, that's my ten seeds in the West. All right. Yeah. So I I would say just to wrap it up. Um, the two conferences are like tricky to predict, but for different reasons. Kind of like the West is just loaded with talent. There's a lot of movement that's possible just because some teams are loaded with talent, like the Rockets, loaded with talent. But you don't know if James Harden's even going to be there. You mm-hmm. don't know if they can put it all together. Um, and then there's some teams that like we just don't know. Like the Suns, we don't know. The Blazers, the Blazers will like be in it, but we again. It's, it's hard to predict the seeds. And then the East is just kind of its own little mess, like at the bottom. And then a lot of teams that are, like, pretty talented, but they kind of have to prove they can compete with, like, if they face the Lakers in the finals. So. All right, so we're going to wrap up the show. Like, anybody that tuned in, anybody that watched, like, any amount of time, I just want to say we really, really appreciate it so much. We, um, we, had, a little, we had a radio show that we did at WSU. And um, I ended up having to drop out, so we didn't end up being able to continue. And we're finally kind of getting it going again. And it was like, I don't, I don't know about you, but it was like, I woke up today was just like a different kind of feeling. Like, yeah. it, we were going to like start something up again. And it was like, it's very important. And it's like very special to both of us. And kind of the way the show is going to work is we're going to try to get a podcast out every single week for you guys. No exact dates yet because it's kind of just going to be when we get the editing done. But we're always going to yeah. try to have it done within a couple days after we record it. So we don't want anything to be like too distant, like any news or anything we talk about to be like weeks apart. You know, mm-hmm. throughout the week we're gonna um, we're gonna try to release clips. So any big news that comes out, any players have a big game, we're gonna try to get together on a video chat and try to just get some content out for you guys. And then we're going to try to break up these videos so maybe you don't have the time to watch for an hour and a half. We're going to just try to break it up. Yeah. You know, make it a little easier to digest for you guys. And, um, yeah, thank you guys for watching the Henny and Juice podcast. Yeah. Have a good one, guys. Until next time. Thank you so much.